This is The Defrag, I'm James Parkinson. Video games and movies are two of the biggest entertainment businesses in the world. In fact, in the last decade, games have overtaken the film industry in terms of global revenue. However, they also have a lot in common. Since the 90s, Hollywood has sought to leverage the popularity of games to cash in at the box office. But that strategy rarely pays off. I'm talking, of course, about the video game movie. And as I say that, you probably have some very particular feelings about them. Game-to-film adaptations have a reputation for not living up to the expectations of fans and generally just being terrible. Despite that, they keep getting made. And in the last couple of years, the rate of video game movies being released and upcoming projects being announced seems to have increased. And now in the streaming age, it's TV shows too. So why does Hollywood keep returning to video game properties and can the newest generation of adaptations finally overcome that awful reputation? So, Mina, you've got some beef with video game <laughs> movies. What does that involve? <laughs> it's not the fact that video game movies exist. It's often how they're done. Mina Shamali is a musician and composer for video games and a radio presenter. And when I put a call out on Twitter for this story, Mina responded with some very specific thoughts and opinions. I think broadly, a lot of video games are misunderstood by not necessarily the filmmakers, but someone involved in the filmmaking process uh, seems to misunderstand the essence of the video game they're adapting. So you might get something that's loosely a B action movie, for for example, for what is kind of a really cool uh, concept in a video game. And none of the things that really make us fall in love with the video game translate to a movie. Do these movies and, and TV shows inspired by video games, do they need to follow the games as closely? You know, is it enough to come up with an original story that does work for the screen, that just uses the IP, is set in the world that we're so familiar with, maybe has some of the same characters, but takes those characters and, that's, and a story in a new direction that, you know, is interesting and surprising, but still fits tonally within that world? Um. I think there's a version of that that can happen, but let me let me answer you with a more specific uh, example. Take a look at the Hitman movies. Now they're based on on the video games that started in 2000 about you know a stealthy clone killer with a barcode at the back of his head and a really sharp suit who leaves no trail to his targets. And there's a whole other backstory about how he came to be and his relationships with the people who kind of created him and all those things. Now, all those things come across in the games in an interesting way, but the essence of the Hitman games is it's not an action game. It's a stealth game. It's a puzzle. When you see the, both Hitman movies, the one with Timothy Oliphant and uh, Rupert Friend, the filmmakers completely thought of this the wrong way. They looked at Hitman, this is an action film with a bald guy with a, with a bunch of guns. That's not really what it's about, right? And the two actors, fantastic actors in other roles. Neither of them really captures the central character of 47, of the Hitman. And I'm not even talking about let's, you have to make it as close as possible. There is an essence to a character that you can capture. What do you think there is 
a disconnect between the actual games they're supposed to be representing and what they're actually trying to create on screen? Um, one thing is the director of the Prince of Persia movie was saying, oh, video games don't really have proper emotional connection, don't really have r real characters or real things, and you need all of that on screen. Completely kind of ignoring how the Prince of Persia games were so infused with human characters. Even since 1989, by the way, since the 8-bit since the games, there was a, a lot of fantastic use of human relationships. If, if your director doesn't see that and doesn't appreciate that and doesn't understand that, then you're already starting off from the wrong point of view. I'm not in the rooms, I'm not in the studios that are making these movies. I am only, I can only speculate. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just think there's a disconnect between someone in the creative process, someone in the decision-making process, because I can't disparage actors or, uh, or directors or composers if they're just doing kind of their job, you know? But there is someone, there is one person who made a wrong decision. Who, who just said, let's just do this. Hey, do you think we should consult someone who knows the video game? Nah, it's all right. It's, we'll, we'll just do something that looks like it. <laughs> like that's my spec, that's my like speculation of the, co the comedy of it, really. So what's actually going on inside Hollywood? After the break, we ask a film critic. If you're enjoying this episode of The Defrag and you want to support the work that we're doing, head on over to our website, thedefrag.com and become a Defrag member. You can get an ad-free version of the podcast, a sticker pack, a regular newsletter and discounts to our merch. Plus, there's a number of other perks depending on your membership level. Becoming a member is really the best way to support the show. It empowers us to produce independent journalism and gives you the best of the podcast without all the noise. So head on over to our website, thedefrag.com, and become a member today. Video game movies have a reputation for being pretty bad, and when you consider how the very first game to film adaptation turned out in 1993, it didn't set a great example. It was... Super Mario Brothers back in the day with John Leguizamo and uh, Bob Hoskins and Dennis Hopper, uh, which died a death uh, because there's not much of a story to Super Mario Brothers and they'd, uh, <laughs> the creators um, built this kind of entire narrative to justify why these two Italian-American plumbers were jumping around a weird landscape fighting dinosaurs. <laughs> and in and of itself, it's kind of groovy because it's really off the wall it's about an ultimate universe and and human dinosaur hybrids and lance henriksen turns up as uh, a mushroom king uh but to fans of of mario brothers it looked nothing like the game they were used to or the, or the franchise they were used to you know this doesn't make a whole lot of sense um so that immediately turned them off and i think that's indicative of, of the problems with adapting games to screen is that the, the joys of gaming and the joys of watching a movie, a good movie, are completely different. 
Travis Johnson is a freelance film critic and I wanted to get his perspective on this long-running trend that tries to push games into other mediums, where they continually fail to live up to expectations. The 90s, you know, really gave rise to uh, games being, you know, moved into other areas of popular culture like film. Uh, from there, though, these adaptations didn't improve a whole lot. There were several movies that came out in the 90s that were based on video games. If these movies are, you know, crashing and burning and, and not really doing that well, why didn't that trend stop in the 90s? Uh, because IP is valuable and people don't like to take a punt on stuff that they don't recognise. And you know, it's, it's really prevalent now, but it's been happening for a while. Like a recognisable brand name is more valuable than a great but unknown original idea. So, you know, um, looking more broadly, you know, we're about to get a Barbie movie which no one asked for, but we're getting one, you know. Uh, occasionally it works, you know. We got the Lego movie and and the Lego Batman movie, and they were both great because they did interesting things with the, with the possibilities, um, narratively and, and conceptually. But in terms of uh, video game adaptations, it, it's weird. So a lot of the stuff we got is stuff you would think would work as a movie. So like Mortal Kombat, that should work because... It's just a series of martial arts fights, and that's very cinematic. And, you know, Doom should work because it's just sort of a running gun battle, and we like gun battles in movies. But the problem is, is that these are kind of derivative of film anyway. So, like, Mortal Kombat and Double Dragon and uh, Street Fighter. How could I forget Street Fighter with Van Damme? You know, you'd think they would work as movies because of, you know, the aforementioned reasons, but they're based on stuff like Enter the Dragon and the octagon and so why wouldn't you just watch those because they're better and and they're sort of deliberately focused on what they're going to be which is a martial arts movie instead of being a a martial arts movie based on a martial arts video game which is based on or inspired by martial arts movies that doesn't really work okay so a good like video game protagonist is kind of a blank slate you project yourself into because you're dictating their choices okay so you're dictating their personality you're dictating their morality but uh protagonist in a movie or a book or a piece of fiction has to make their own choices dictate their own morality and if that differs from how you've played that character then there's a disconnect there's kind of a uh you know it's a bit of a shock to the system for the viewer who's also a fan of the game because it's not the game that you played the movie does not reflect your experience yeah I mean, they made a movie about Angry Birds, which has no narrative whatsoever. So seemingly nothing will stop Hollywood from just trying and trying again with uh, anything, throwing it at the wall. Um, we have seen an increase in video game adaptations in recent years, both for the big screen and television. Do you sense that we're starting to see a shift in the approach to, to video game adaptations? We've got, you know, things in the pipeline like The Last of Us, uh, which will be a show from HBO, which sounds promising given HBO's track record of producing, you know, gritty dramas. Do you think that could adapt well to, to the small screen? It's really hard to say. So, like, um, with this adaptation, you know, are they adapting the storyline from the game or the second game? Or is it a, another story around or outside or before or after the events of the games? That's the question for me. So, like, if they're kind of doing the storyline for the game, then we've got the problem I talked about earlier, which is it may not be the story as you played it. Um, and if they're doing something sort of around the game, that could be interesting, but how much of your enjoy potential enjoyment of that is going to be predicated on knowledge of the game. Because you've got to remember that 
the audience for video game movies is not just people who played the video game. Like people, like normal people, people with lives <laughs> have to be able to sit down in front of these things and understand what's going on. You also have the, uh, the strictures applied to valuable IP, which means the odds of a mad genius getting to do whatever they want with a, a property like The Last of Us or Halo or whatever, whatever game. The property is so valuable that the creative freedom to maybe break outside the, the strictures of the form and do something interesting is, is kind of hard to come by. Do you see an end in sight or will we just continually keep revisiting video game properties and trying to force them into the screen world where we're trying to adapt things and just leverage the existing IP that people are familiar with for the sake of, you know, trying to make some money at the box office. Yeah, I think it will happen and for a couple of reasons. A, it's that that sort of economically conservative idea that that uh, known IP is more valuable than than unknown IP or you know new ideas, um, which is true. Like I'm a screenwriter as well. I, I butt up against this. Um, but also culturally, and this is going to sound weird, but like I said, I'm not putting down video games, not putting down comics, but film has a certain cultural cachet. And there's, there is something about having a, a popular or, or critically acclaimed film, which has more weight than having a popular or critically acclaimed comic or having a popular or critically acclaimed video game. You know, like Horizon West might be amazing, but if you mention that and Jurassic Park to someone in the street, odds are good they're going to know Jurassic Park and not Horizon West. And when something is adapted, and you see this in, in like Marvel fandom a lot, the scorekeeping to kind of get a, a, a cultural leg up on, on your perceived haters. So when, when a Marvel movie makes a billion dollars, it kind of validates the form. Like you kind of, you know, you, you get vindicated for being a giant nerd who's been reading Doctor Strange since 1975 or whatever. And I am a giant nerd who's been reading comics that long. So no hate mail, please. I'm just reading how I, the lay of the land as I see it. There is something about the film um, which has more cultural weight. It just does at this moment in time. And the popularity of gaming is uh, incredible. Like, and, and the, the, you know, if we're going to talk about uh, economics as a measure of success, which is a bit fraught when we're talking about art, but it's an easy metric because numbers are hard to argue with. Um, you know, how much money is being generated and poured into gaming at the moment is, I think it's outstripped film. Uh, globally. In terms of a, an art form being a, a, a vector for sort of communication and, and, and communicating messages and themes and ideas and stuff like that, I, I think film and TV still have the edge and I'm not 100% sure I can see because I'm an old man and maybe my brain isn't as plastic as it used to be. I can't really see a way for gaming to kind of get over that particular hurdle or, or, or solve that particular riddle, square that circle. Uh, it's a very different experience. And it, so the popularity of gaming is, is impressive and great, and I game a lot. But the cultural impact, I think, is less than, than cinema and television, or screen culture in general. Travis, uh, thanks so much for your time today. Appreciate it. Anytime, man. Anytime. Also making news today. 
SpaceX has been given permission to continue with the build of its Starbase facility at Boca Chica, Texas, provided the company makes changes to limit the environmental impact. The US Federal Aviation Administration has completed a review of the project and recommended more than 75 changes to bring the project up to standard. The company won't, however, be required to submit a full environmental impact statement, which would be a lot more time-consuming for SpaceX to complete. Following the release of the report, SpaceX celebrated with a tweet saying one step closer to the first orbital flight test of Starship. Just a couple of weeks after Elon Musk warned staff at Tesla of a 10% headcount reduction, the company has fired its Singapore country manager. Christopher Buzig was appointed just 12 months ago to manage Tesla's move into the wealthy Singapore market. In a post on LinkedIn, he said he was proud to have been the company's first country manager in Southeast Asia. Tesla employed almost 100,000 people worldwide at the end of 2021, and Musk told staff at the beginning of June that the company was overstaffed in some areas and would be reducing headcount. And finally today, Reuters is reporting that big tech will need to take action against deepfakes and fake accounts if a new version of the EU's Code of Practice on Disinformation is established this week. The new code will require companies to implement clear policies regarding impermissible manipulation behaviours and practices on their services. In 2018, tech companies like Google, Meta and Twitter signed on to this voluntary code which requires signatories to invest in technology to help people make informed decisions and to prioritise accurate and relevant information in search feeds. The new version of the code is set to move to a co-regulatory system with regulators taking some responsibility to make sure companies abide by the rules. Penalties for breaching the updated code will be significant, with the document now linked to the Digital Services Act, which can see companies fined up to 6% of their annual turnover. The Defrag is a production of Lawson Media. The show today was produced by me, James Parkinson, and Christopher Lawson. If you're enjoying The Defrag, one of the best ways to help us grow is to spread the word. So tap that share button in your podcast app and tell your friends. That's all for today. Catch you on Thursday. <laughs>